Hello, this is Ian Wolfe. I'm taking a few weeks off, so enjoy this classic diffusion originally broadcast in the simpler times of the 19th of October 2005, back in the days when the show was called Discovery. Welcome. 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 Stand and welcome. Hello, good evening and welcome to Discovery. 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 Listen to Discovery. Discovery. <gasps> Discovery. Discovery. Sounds like a lot of fun. Somewhere in space, this may all be happening right now. Now to the speeded up brain of a user, that sound lasts for four hours and sounds like this. Discovery. Uh, yeah. Welcome to Discovery, the national science radio show, coming to you from the studios of 2SER and broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. Today's show is a Nobel special, covering all the latest from both the Nobel Prizes and their wacky cousin, the Ig Nobels. I'm Matthew Francis, and joining me in the studio, we have Chris Stewart, Jackie Pepper, Adam Richardson, and Ian Wolfe. First up, we have Jackie with the news. Biochemist Chris Elvin from Australia CSIRO has led a team that has created a new rubber from a fruit fly gene. A known protein called resolin is found in many insects and is responsible for many things including the elastic energy needed by fleas to jump, to allowing flexibility in insect wings and is also found in spider silk. The team made this new rubber by inserting part of the resolin gene from Drosophila melanogaster, or a fruit fly, into the bacteria E. coli. By allowing the E. coli to incubate, enough of the precursor of resolin was produced, which was then mixed with a catalyst, producing a solid rubber. The team who have published their finding in the journal Nature hope that it will have many possibilities, from rubber bouncy balls to creating new flexible implanted spinal discs and even engineering applications like microcircuit switches. In more insect news, colour coordinating with the environment mightn't just be a defence mechanism. A new report in the Journal of Experimental Biology has shown that some spiders that match the colour of the flower they live on use ultraviolet light as a way of attracting their prey. Spider specialist Dr Mary Herberstein from the Macquarie University believes that crab spiders who match their surroundings wouldn't be using their camouflage to wait for their honeybee diet looking for a safe place to land. Herberstein had already proved in 2003 that bees preferred to land on flowers which were playing home to crab spiders and after analysing the contrast in colour between the flowers and the spiders found a difference in the ultraviolet spectrum. Herberstein's new theory was that crab spiders reflected UV to attract honeybees. This has prompted her latest work, which saw her knock the spiders out with carbon dioxide and then slap on some sunscreen, thereby, thereby providing, um, prohibiting them from reflecting UV. They found that bees avoided the flowers with the sun-protective insects, proving that crab spiders used this UV to find their dinner. Dr Natalie Robinson from Macquarie University in Sydney has found that using SMS text messages is becoming a common way to dump somebody. According to ABC Science Online, Dr Robinson studying the texting behaviours of 118 to 35-year-old students who are currently in different relationships and found that 15% had broken up a relationship via SMS. It was also found that those in the group who had dumped their partner using text messages tended to be at the younger end of this age bracket. 
Only 7%, however, had received a dumping text and did not enjoy the experience. While texting might be used as a death sentence for some relationships, it does have its flirtatious benefits with 11% of participants using SMS to heat up their relationship. Thanks for the news, Jackie. You're listening to Discovery, and now it's time to launch into our Nobel Fiesta. To give us all the goss on this year's winners, here's Adam Richardson. Thank you, Matt. Starting off with the Nobel Prize in Physics this year. This year it was awarded to three people. Professor Roy Glauber won half the prize for his theory describing the behaviour of light particles. Now, do you guys, does light wave or a particle? Oh, oh, I don't know. You're asking the hard ones now. The answer is yes. Yes. Correct. The answer answer is is. yes. But you get problems. So if you think about taking a a photo with a regular camera, the light is coming through the lens and it's being diffracted around and bent by the the different, uh, different media. So it's behaving like a wave. But then as soon as it's through the lens, it interacts with the chemicals on the film and it behaves as a particle. So it's not quite sure. It can be either depending on what you want it to be. Okay. With you so far. Okay. Professor Glauber came up with the idea of quantum optics, which explains that at the quantum level, they're actually the same thing. So it kind of makes a bit more sense, supposedly. So what you're saying is this guy came up with a theory that said, it's a wave, it's a particle, but don't worry about it because they're the same thing anyway. Exactly. La, 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 not listening, not listening. How long ago was this that he did this? Oh, don't ask me that. Okay. <laughs> Nobel Prizes right. tend to be a couple of decades behind the time. So Yes. You know. Usually the work is done in the 30s and it's awarded in sort of the 50s or 60s So for the researcher. Okay, so he got half the prize. He got half the prize. The other half went to two physicists named Professor John Hall and Theodore Hanch who uh, d- developed a technique called laser precision spectroscopy. Now, laser precision, precision spectroscopy is a method for measuring frequency of light to very high precision. What they do is they get a laser and pass it through colour filters that they know precisely and then they compare this known laser frequency against unknown frequency and they mes- measure beats, like sound beats. And so using this, they can determine the frequency of light to within one part in 10 to the 15. Why is this useful? Uh, well, if you want to measure the speed of light or the fine structure constant, you need to know your, um, you need to have a very, very good stopwatch and atomic clocks just really aren't up to it. Let's, let's just remind ourselves there that there are people out there who do want to measure the speed of light or of the course. fine structure constant. They're just you know, generally locked away in laboratories somewhere, but it, you know, they do. They do. Yeah. And so using this technique, we can determine are these constants changing over time and just how constant is the universe. So moving along to the Nobel Prize in Chemistry. This one was again awarded to three people this year. Uh, professors Yves Chavon, Richard Schrock, and Robert Grubbs. This hardly seems fair. I mean, it, no, the Nobel Prize is about 1.7 million Australian, right? About that. If you're the only one, you get to walk away with all of that cash. If it's shared three ways, then you're it's down only to... 600,000. Yeah, hardly oh, fair. Oh God, anyway, it's, it's hardly worth the effort. 600,000 is still a lot of money, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't mind. Anyway. Okay, so these three guys, they developed a process called metathesis, which is used in turning one chemical molecule into another chemical molecule. Uh, primarily for organic compounds. So organic compounds, what are they made of? Anyone, um, anyone know? Mainly, mainly carbon. Lots mainly carbon. carbon. I was going to say organic, so you, you, you're better than me. <laughs> just, mainly... like, just like that organic cereal you can buy. Good <laughs> for the earth. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it's ma- mostly carbon, and carbon can be attached to other carbon molecules with one, two, or three bonds. Now, one bond is pretty weak, two is somewhere in the middle, and three bonds is really strong. This means that if you want to break 
a double or a triple bond, but keeping the single bonds intact, it's very, very difficult because if you just throw um, chemicals and energy into it, you're going to break everything. But metathesis is a principle that enables you to break double bonds without breaking the single bonds. Mm, so that means that when you're making these very long organic compounds, such as drugs and plastics and petrochemicals and things, because you don't have to break and then remake all of the single bonds, you can do it in fewer steps. And by doing it in fewer steps, then that means you're burning less fuel and you're producing less toxic waste. So it's a little bit like being able to knock down the walls of a house without actually breaking the windows. Essentially, yeah. How was that for an analogy? That's, nice analogy. That's a good <laughs> one. Thank you. Okay, moving along. Uh, as we mentioned last week in the show, two Australians won this year's Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine. Uh, Barry Marshall and J. Robin Warren were awarded the prize for research into gastritis and peptic ulcers. Now, up until about 20 years ago, everyone knew that gastritis and ulcers were caused by stress. Yeah, lifestyle. Exactly, yeah, yeah. and too much acid in your stomach. Definitely. But these two guys, they, they did some biopsies and they found that, hang on, pretty much everyone who has these also has this previously unknown bacteria living in their their gut. Yeah, now I had, a, I had a chat to one of these researchers last week and he's, he's saying, well, it was in all the textbooks. Bacteria can't live in the gut. Exactly. Just they, can't happen. They die in the acid. Yeah. But unfortunately, it appears they do. And all of the other doctors who, who they told about this went, la, 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 I don't want to know. <laughs> it's just shocking. So uh, the, these two, two great Australian scientists, they decided to do one of the big, big no-nos in science mm -hmm. and they tested on themselves. So they got a sample of this bacteria. They drank it, and what do you know? They developed gastritis. <laughs> who, who would have thought? That's, oh, that's, that's dedication. To work, yeah. that, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I'd give someone a prize for that. Yeah, I reckon the doofus prize. Like, yeah. But they give it to someone else. Yes. Like get a grad student or something. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they're trying to win the Darwin Awards and the uh, Nobel Prize with the same act. Sorry. It's not to give you an ulcer. It is exactly. exactly. Yeah. So anyway, after taking this, the, these, these little bugs and eating them, they then took a course of antibiotics and found that it was actually very simple to cure gastritis and peptic ulcers, which traditionally people had had for pretty much their whole life. It came and went, but it was essentially always there. But of course, it's not just about ulcers, because if you have something like you know, the, the lining of the gut inflamed for that period of time, it can actually do things like go nasty and cancerous on you. Exactly. So this is more than just curing ulcers. This mm. has got all sorts of ramifications. It's cool stuff. Yeah. And it was actually found after the event, they, they started studying more people to look for these bugs. And they found that about 50% of everyone on Earth can t has these bugs in their body. And usually infants contract it from their mothers. Uh, however, fortunately, only about 10 to 15% of people who have the bug actually develop the symptoms. So it's been proposed that it's probably not a good idea to try and eradicate this bug because, as with all these other bacteria, it could develop immunities to our current drugs. But it's currently a really good method for, for treating the, the symptoms and, as you said, it can be very, very nasty side effects. And it's Australian. Which is it's Australian. Know, yeah, that's all we care Aussies. about, really. Yeah. <laughs> Till it's bought out by some American company. <laughs> Okay, final nod goes to the uh, winners for the Swedish Sweden, Bank of Sweden Prize in Economics, commonly referred to as the Nobel Prize in Economics. Uh, that, that great science of economics. Oh, yeah. The yes. dismal science. Yeah. <laughs> and th this year it was awarded to two researchers, Thomas Schelling and Robert Orman, who applied the theory of, applied the mathematics of game theory into conflict resolution for large companies and governments. Uh, Thomas Schelling was actually actually worked for the White House in America during the Cold War, and he was one of the main main people who proposed the idea of mutually assured destruction as a way of preventing a nuclear holocaust. And he came up with his theory based upon this concept of game theory, 
mathematics. Funny they didn't give him the uh, the Peace Prize. It's then. funny, that. Well, yeah. let's be honest, it worked. Well, true. You, yeah. So you have to give him that much. It's yeah. hard to tell because we didn't see what else happened. <laughs> well, thanks, Adam. Now we know about all the winners of the Nobels. But still to come on Discovery, the Ig Nobel Prizes. What are they? Who are the winners? All that to come, uh, coming up on Discovery.
That was Breakin' by the Music. You're listening to Discovery, and now we're on to the Ig Nobel Prizes. Now, Ian, what exactly are these Ig Nobels? Well, the Ig Nobels are awarded for scientific research that first makes people laugh, and then makes them think. The Igs are brought to you by the Annals of Improbable Research, and the prizes are handed to the winners by genuine Nobel laureates at Harvard University. While the audience throws paper aeroplanes through the entire event, and there are also operas about the latest scientific happenings. So this is a piss take. Yes. Right? Same time of year as the Nobel Prizes, and you've got people over in Sweden going, oh, thank you very much for wonderful research. You've got these Harvard jokers, who are probably undergraduates, going, yeah, but come on, science is funny too. Well, there's undergraduates and there's Nobel laureates. In fact, the guy who sweeps the paper aeroplanes off the stage is an occupational health and safety sort of issue because you can slip on them and they, people just keep throwing the planes all through the whole ceremony. Um, he's been doing that for 10 years and this year he won the Nobel Prize in physics. Fabulous. That's um, Frank Vilcek, isn't it? That's Roy Glauber. Oh, Roy Glauber. The quantum optics guy. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's all right. Yeah, but so, it's... So, yes, uh, and they actually tour Australia in August for Science Week ah. and around the world at other times so of the year. So keep your eye out for for um, the Ig Nobels next year. Yes. Around August next year. August next year for sure. Cool. So they have all the categories. Shall we go on to this year's... Yeah, who are the winners the this prizes? year? Well, for agricultural history went to James Watson of Massey University in New Zealand. Actually, Australia and New Zealand are well represented this year. He had a scholarly study, The Significance of Mr. Richard Buckley's Exploding Trousers, Reflections on an Aspect of Technological Change in New Zealand Dairy Farming Between the World Wars. Exploding Trousers. Well, when you mix the weed killer sodium chlorate with organic materials like cotton or wool fibres, such as in farmers' clothes, um, they'll detonate in the first spark or bit of heat or a big bang. And he dried his trousers in front of an open oven (laughs) and they exploded. Um, This actually has a link to Alfred Nobel, whose lab coat exploded in a similar sort of accident, but not with fertiliser. Yeah, but I mean, he was making... He was making dynamite. dynamite, No, he wasn't. No, he... He actually invented dynamite from his lab coat accidentally exploding from nitrocellulose there being formed. Go. There you go. Yes. Okay, so that was agriculture. That was agriculture. In physics, John Mainstone and the late Thomas Parnell, the University of Queensland, have been patiently conducting an experiment that began in the year 1927, in which a glob of congealed black tar has been slowly dripping through a funnel at the rate of about one drop every nine years. This one's close to my heart because I've seen it. I, I did my undergrad in, in Brisbane at the University of Queensland. And I've, I've seen it. I've watched it. Or rather, I haven't watched it because you look at it and you go, nothing's happening. And you come back, you know, five years later and it's still, nothing's, nothing's happening. Happened. And when it happens, it happens pretty quick. And mm. the webcam was broken the day that it happened. That's and so right. they missed it. <laughs> they put a webcam on it. And what happened? Like that there was a data overflow or something. Something and so for like a couple that. of weeks, right around when the drop fell, nothing was recorded. That's just unlucky. Oh, that's a conspiracy, mm. that, that is. That's fantastic. <laughs> and so it turns out that tar's a fluid that's 100 billion times more viscous than water. It'll shatter if you drop it. So it takes nine years for it to form a drop and for that drop to fall. That's right. The patience of the physicist. Absolutely. And look, the experiment continues. In medicine, Greg Miller in Oak Grove, Missouri, invented nuticles, artificial replacement testicles for dogs. They're available in three sizes and three <laughs> degrees of firmness. Is this, is this a psychological replacement for the dogs? So, something to scratch around? Well, you realise it's not... manhood back? The dogs aren't the ones ordering these off the internet, of course. Well, that's okay, true. so I've got a question. Right, What kind of dog owner right, goes and gets their boy dog 
done mm-hmm. at the vet and then goes, poor Fido, I'd better look on the internet to see whether or not there are any replacement testicles for my small Jack Russell Terrier because it's just... He doesn't look the same. Exactly. When you go out and take him for a walk, the chicks notice, oh, apparently. Yeah. Well, well no, the other dogs are Or the other too. guys notice. There is, that, there is that famous Australian saying, sticks out like dog's balls. So, you know, you obviously go. they don't anymore. So you need the replacements. Apparently so, and you can buy them. How much? From Missouri. Oh, don't know the prices. We've got to go and find out. But they Is come it, in three I'm degrees sure we'll of firmness. I'm sure we'll be able to find them on eBay soon. <laughs> <laughs> Has this been motivated by some kind of you know depression in in male dogs after they've you know been De- been neutered? Is this a is this a known problem in the pet it's world? It's depression in the owners. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yes. It's like it's like buying the, the red sports car when you get middle age. If your dog's been neutered, you feel like <laughs> less of a man. Anyway, in literature, the internet entrepreneurs of Nigeria for creating and then using email to distribute a bold series of short stories introducing millions of readers to a cast of rich characters. Oh, I think I've received some of these stories. You really? Yeah. You too? Yeah. Oh, pass them around, guys. Well, these, <laughs> these are the ones, right, where, where um, they say, oh, we've got $80 million, but we just need someone to give us a hand getting that yeah, money if only we had a bank baby. account. Yeah. Isn't that another Australian award, though? Didn't some guys get in trouble a couple of months ago for doing that? I missed that one. I believe I- Australian entrepreneurs? Yes. Fantastic. <laughs> I, um, do you know anything more about that? Uh, going off memory from a few months ago, but it was a couple of guys got in trouble, and to be honest, I haven't received one since. Mm. Apparently it's the biggest export in Nigeria. <laughs> 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 the Peace Prize. The Ig Nobel for Peace went to Claire Rind and Peter Simmons of Newcastle University in the UK for electronically monitoring the activity of brain cell in a locust while that locust was watching selected highlights from the movie Star Wars. Now, this is true. I did actually watch the uh, the ceremony for the Ig Nobels on the internet the other day while I should have been working. I couldn't and, get it to uh, work. I know, I got it, got it working. And she wasn't just showing this particular brain cell in the in the the bug yes. uh, star wars she was showing them all sorts of things but the what, what was it a grasshopper a locust a locust close really liked darth vader <laughs> <laughs> for some reason like seriously this just got off on but they've got a good reason i mean they, what they're trying to do is understand a part of the brain called the lobular giant movement detector of course so they can make robot cars that also flinch during giant movement season star wars <laughs> <laughs> Which is what the world's been waiting for all of this time. Well, last year's Peace Prize was won by the inventor Daisuke Inoue of karaoke, who ah. provided an entirely new way for people to learn to tolerate each other. Yeah. He didn't patent his machine. Ouch. But he regrets nothing and there's now a movie made of his life. Excellent. Keep keep an eye out for that on SBS. <laughs> the ignoble for economics was Gory Nanda of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology for inventing an alarm clock that runs away and hides when you hit the snooze button. Not just once, though. Not just once, but yeah. many times so that people back. do have to get out of bed and find the clock to turn it off. Excellent. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. I need it's one. evil. <laughs> Chemistry. Uh, it was for finding out, can people swim fast in syrup or water? Now, here's the weird thing. Okay, no, actually, two, two <laughs> weird things. First obvious weird thing is, why would you? But the second weird thing is, apparently you can swim the same speed. That's right. Well... The answer is, yeah, it doesn't make any difference. Um, the reason they did it is one of them is an Olympic swimmer. And it turns out you'd have to have a thousandfold increase in viscosity rather than twice to actually see any difference. Good swimmers swim faster. Nothing to do with what they're swimming in. How yeah, fast do they swim through tar? Mm, I can see two Ig Nobel Prizes <laughs> getting and having offspring here. I think this could be really good. So did they actually do an experiment? Yes, they did the experiment. They had 10 competitive swimmers and six casual swimmers, and the athletic 
basically the athletes swam faster, regardless of what the medium was. Mm. Um, then, of course, there's the people who sniffed stressed out frogs mm, so and very, discovered very they quickly. all smell different. So, and then you've got the because that was the that was the other Australian one, wasn't it? Ah, that's right. It's partly it's an international team, but led by Mike Tyler, the Frogman, and Benjamin Smith. And you also, of course, had the pressures produced when penguins poo. Calculations mm. on avian defecation, because penguin poo can travel forty centimeters away from the nest. If you've ever seen a penguin poo, that's that's nothing to to sniff at, as it were. Yes, and all acceptance speeches are stuck with a one-minute time limit, which is strictly enforced by a preteen girl who basically says, "Please stop. I'm bored." Please stop. I'm bored. Until they stop or they're buried in paper airplanes from the audience. Well, thanks. Thanks a lot, Ian. Um, we wait with great anticipation for the coming of the Ig Nobels. When were they coming to Australia, Ian? August next year. Ah, oh, fantastic. You've been listening to Discovery, the National Science Radio Show. You've been hearing from Jackie Peffer, Adam Richardson, Ian Wolfe, Chris Stewart and myself, Matthew Francis. Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 27 stations on the community radio network, including two RBM in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales, 8 Triple C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2 NVR in Nambucca Valley, 3 MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, and 7 LTN City Park Radio in Launceston, Tasmania. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Work, work.